Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. My name is John D. Pray, go to a meeting, call your sponsor, read the literature, and don't drink. AA for dummies. Before I could work the steps, I had that checklist and I could check it off. And then I was just, had this sense of peace and relief come over me because I was doing what I was supposed to do. And I just did, had to not drink until, you know, my head hit the pillow and then wake up and do it again. For me, that's what being humble is about. It's not thinking less or more of myself. It's about having a correct understanding of where I'm at and what my talents or treasures are so I can share, so I can be useful in this world and be of service. God doesn't make bad days. Sometimes I just don't understand what the plan is, but that's okay. You know, that's why I have that faith and that trust in my higher power. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast with your hosts, Michael L. and Lee M., On this show, we try to provide some inspiration through interviews with members of the recovery community. We are not aligned with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear them mentioned throughout the course of an interview. On the show today, John D. from Centerville, Virginia. Before we get to the show, if you're listening on a podcast app like Apple Podcasts, for example, and they give you the ability to leave a review or a rating, we would love to hear from you. It's going to help us improve the show and expand our reach. We greatly appreciate that. We hope you enjoy the show. Good morning, Lee. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing very well this morning. How are you, Mike? I'm great. What is on the schedule for today? So today we have John D. from Centerville, Virginia. It is March 21st, and he's here to share with us on the daily reflection for today, which is material and spiritual well-being. Outstanding. Well, John, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Good morning to you both. So, John, uh, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Let them know who you are, where you're from. Maybe talk a little bit about your sobriety date. Sure. Um, Yeah, my name is John D. Uh, Currently reside in Centerville, Virginia. Yeah, I grew up in Alexandria, Virginia, and actually was born in Brazil. And, uh, yeah, lived in Iowa for a bit. Yeah, my sobriety date is June 7th. 2018. So I got a little over two years. Let's get into the reflection and then we'll talk a little bit about your program of recovery through the lens of that reflection. So if you wouldn't mind, could you get us started by reading the daily reflection for today? All right. March 21st, material and spiritual well-being. Fear of economic insecurity will leave us. Alcoholics Anonymous, page 84. Having fear reduced or eliminated and having economic circumstances improve are two different things. When I was new in AA, I had those two ideas confused. I thought fear would leave me only when I started making money. However, another line from the big book jumped off the page one day when I was chewing on my financial difficulties. For us, material well-being always followed spiritual progress. It never proceeded, page 127. I suddenly understood that this promise was a guarantee. I saw that it put priorities in the correct order, that spiritual progress would diminish that terrible fear of being destitute, just as it diminished many other fears. Today, I try to use the talents God gave me to benefit others. I found that is what others valued all along. I try to remember that I no longer work for myself. I only get the use of the wealth God created 
I never have owned it. My life's purpose is much clearer when I just work to help, not to possess. That's a big promise. As I read it, though, it says, like on the first line, having fear reduced or eliminated and having economic circumstances improved are two different things. What kinds of fears did you face when you were still drinking and, you know, not yet in the program? Ooh, yeah. I mean, fear just kind of ruled my life. You know, I, you know, like I share, you know, I was totally uncomfortable with my existence, you know, every waking moment. You know, and even, you know, sometimes when I was unconscious, like sleeping or whatever, I would wake up in a panic or, you know, just like gripped by fear, anxiety, you know, and it, um, it was, it's just hard to even, uh, you know, communicate how, you know, how desperate I was to just kind of feel safe and secure, you know, in, in my own skin, you know, much less, you know, in any situation where like other people or anything was involved, but. Yeah, I mean, I struggled with uh, fear of, um, you know, financial insecurity. But, you know, when I was drinking and drugging, it just, I didn't, you know, it wasn't too much. I didn't care. You know, I was just, you know, I wouldn't pay the bills. I would, uh, you know, was irresponsible with, you know, money. And, and you know, it didn't make any difference to me. You know, I, I didn't care because I wasn't, you know, didn't think I'd be around that long. And So the reflection talks about spiritual progress being key. I saw that it put priorities in the correct order, that spiritual progress would diminish that that terrible fear of being destitute, just as it diminished many other fears. Tell me a little bit about your spiritual progress. Has has that changed as you've progressed in your recovery? Absolutely. I mean, um, spiritual progress, you know, for me that I think about spiritual, you know, the spiritual awakening they talk about. As I was going through it, I didn't feel like you know, I couldn't, I wasn't really aware, couldn't really sense what was going on until I continued working through the steps, you know, you know, I could definitely tell, you know, looking back, the third step was a big, you know, milestone in my spiritual growth and progress. And, you know, the fourth step and fifth step and that relationship that it built with uh, myself and, you know, the past and reality and the truth and with my sponsor and, you know, six and seven and, you know, eight and nine is really when you got to see that, you know, my progress reflected back to me from hearing back from others and kind of making things right, you know, and cleaning up the past and, um, you know, getting to see myself in situations for, you know, what they truly and really are. Yeah. But for me, I guess it's more, it's definitely like, you know, they talk about, oh, you know, you might have that burning bush moment where you see the light, you know, you feel the the wind rushing or whatever. But for me, it was definitely looking back and seeing all the burning bushes. You know, I didn't have that burning bush moment. John, how old were you when you got into recovery? Yeah, I was uh, 33 years old. And I think uh, at least the first drink that I remember, I was around 12 years old, at least where I got drunk and then subsequently sick. So it's a pretty good chunk of time. for <laughs> It was definitely more than half my life. That's a lot of years of drinking and drugging. Did you have a lot of major amends that you found out in in discussions with your sponsor that you need and in doing the work that you needed to do. Oh yeah, like uh, um yeah, I mean I had some big ones. I mean, I was in when I came into recovery, you know, my wife uh who we're now divorced with uh left and you know that you know that uh fear of financial insecurity was huge going through the divorce and you know all the resentments and stuff that get go along with all that. And, um, 
Oh man. Yeah. So like I did not, you know, for, she was a person who I didn't think I was going to be able to make an amends with, you know, it happened that she, it, you know, that I had it and I was able to call my sponsor and it was just eye opening to see things from her perspective. And it happened at, you know, just the right time for me. And it was really tough. You know, I was scared, you know, having to pay like alimony and, you know, kind of split the retirement and refinance the house. I was just scared that, you know, I was going to be able to pay the bills every month, but, you know, <laughs> thank God I had outside help, you know, for my lawyer and, you know, support of my friends and family and, you know, all my AA fellowship because, uh, you know, kind of definitely got me through. And, you know, now I can see, you know, I'm fine. You know, I'm in a, right now I'm in West Virginia on a ski trip and with my family and my girlfriend and it's wonderful. That's fantastic. I, I love hearing when, when people work the program and things turn around for them. How long do you think it took you to kind of turn the corner from, from early sobriety and getting into working the program to starting to see some of these promises realized in your life? When I came into recovery, I was not ready and I was not willing. And like people talk about, I had that gift of desperation, you know, and thank God I got in front of a group of drunks. Actually, the first meeting I ever went to was an NA meeting and I didn't do anything they told me. I didn't call anyone. I didn't go back to the meeting like you know, the meeting they told me to go to or anything. And, you know, and thank God I had another friend who had a DUI. He was like, oh, you know, my lawyer said I should probably start going to AA meetings. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm, I started going to meetings. You know, that was I went to the NA meeting Thursday and then that was Sunday. And I just happened to go to the, the place that was my home group that turned out to be my home group. They assigned me a sponsor. Thank God that's how they did it there. So I had someone that was, you know, kind of was checking in on me. Yeah, early recovery, I was not good at taking direction. And it, I felt the pain and suffering and consequences of it. It took honestly to where I could feel it and, you know, be aware of it. It was like 18 months. There was a time where, you know, I had that physical sobriety where it was like, you know, I was on a pink cloud and, you know, started working this stuff. But then as soon as I got on my four step, I was like coming off that pink cloud and I was miserable and I was procrastinating on my four step. I'm glad I had my sponsor because he kind of dragged me through the steps to the point where I could kind of wake up and be aware of probably around 18 months, like I said, but yeah, I was having problems with sleeping and, you know, early on it was like eating and going to the bathroom regularly, you name it, you know, it's just kind of <laughs> waking up at 33 and just, you know, not knowing how to take care of myself, like eat and sleep and exercise and go to work, like the basic things were just a challenge. Well, it is a great program that kind of teaches you how to go about those things. I'm curious though, you mentioned that you were assigned a sponsor, you know, that that relationship with a sponsor is a is a tricky thing, and a lot of people struggle with actually getting the courage to ask somebody to be their sponsor and having one assigned to you. I guess that could be a relief in some way, but tell me a little bit about how that went. I mean, did you immediately take to your sponsor? Did you have a good relationship right out of the gate? I mean, yeah, I mean, pretty good. You know, I definitely, you know, I wasn't really looking for it, but he had what I wanted. You know, like he would seem like, uh, content and at peace, you know, serene and, you know, kind of had his life together and was going on an upward trajectory. And, um, and, uh, he cared about me. He called, he checked in. I mean, that's, you know, some of the resentments I had were people that kind of, you know, ghosted me or whatever. He cared. And, uh, so, I mean, as we got to know each other better and I got to hear his story, you know, I could relate. Yeah. I, I got lucky, you know, I, I, you know, I was assigned a sponsor. And I mean, that's how my home group works. Like they ask you if it, your first meeting there, they ask if you have a sponsor, if you say no, 
they're like someone in the meetings like i'm going to talk to you afterwards and so that's how they they operate and uh and they're i don't know that's exactly what i needed so i thank god for that grateful that you know there's you know not everyone rubs you the right way and not everyone even with long-term sobriety has what you want but uh it's definitely what I needed. That group of drunks gave me that good orderly direction. And the other thing is they have uh, the five basics, which I'm sure people have heard of. And it's, you know, pray, go to a meeting, call your sponsor, read the literature and don't drink. AA for dummies. Before I could work the steps, I had that checklist and I could check it off. And then I was had this sense of peace and relief come over me because I was doing what I was supposed to do. And I just had, had to not drink until, you know, my head hit the pillow and then wake up and do it again. And that got me to a place where I could work the steps and, you know, get my, you know, head on my shoulders well enough to be able to like, you know, really work the steps. I love it. I think, you know, once we make a decision to make a major change like this, the universe conspires to put us exactly where we need to be with exactly the right kind of people to help us succeed. And, you know, it works different ways for different people. So at the end of the reflection in the last paragraph, it talks about, you know, today I try to use the talents God gave me to benefit others. Um, He then goes on to say, I only get the use of the wealth God created. I've never owned it. My life's purpose is much clearer when I work just to help rather than to possess. And I'm wondering, how does that spirituality work for you? Does that make sense to you? Does that resonate with you? Oh, yeah. Thank you, Lee. Absolutely. So for me, that has really gotten to where, you know, it's um, life is a gift. Uh, And I was, you know, given this gift and it took me, you know, (laughs) you know, kind of like taking it for granted for a long time and kind of not appreciating it, you know, being ungrateful to get where, you know, I kind of like made a mess of things so much that I kind of had to, there was no way out you know, I was at that turning point, that jumping off point. So yeah, I mean, t- today, it's really important for me to have an accurate appraisal of myself, you know, know what my talents and treasures are, you know, so that I can share those with others. I mean, that for me, that's what being humble is about. It's not thinking less or more of myself. It's about having a correct understanding of where I'm at and what my talents or treasures are so I can share so I can be useful in this world and be of service, you know, that's, and that's what gets me out of bed in the morning, you know, before, (laughs) you know, it was like smoking that first cigarette, you know, even in sobriety. And now it's like, you know, hitting my knees and, you know, how can I be of use today? You know, that I can really connect with those ideas there. And it's all a gift, you know, like none of the stuff I have, all the material things around me, it's not mine. It was, it's all God's stuff, you know, and I'm just here to take care of it and to, you know, leave things better than I found them. You know, that's really my goal. And when I live like that, you know, it just, the satisfaction you get out of living that way is incredible. You know, I have some outside issues, maybe, you know, like ADHD, whatever, you know, there's the new shiny stuff you can get all like, oh, look at this new shiny stuff or whatever it is. But it's those things you have to put consistent like effort at, you know, and chip away at slowly that you really get that meaningful long-term satisfaction that's like deep you know in your soul you know it feeds it nourishes your soul now on the other side have you experienced being a part of someone else's sobriety have you been assigned to someone as a sponsee has someone let me put that another way has has a sponsee been assigned to you right 
Well, yeah, I mean, for me, it's, you know, it's, I, I volunteered, you know, and made myself available and I continue to, as soon as I start hit, hit the ninth step, my, well, my, even before then, my sponsor encouraged me to always reach out to newcomers and like, you know, get their numbers, stay in contact with them. And, you know, I did that, you know, and it's funny because like, you know, I'm kind of like compulsive with my behaviors and habits and stuff. So like once I found talking to people helped me get out of my head and feel better, I started, I latched onto it. And so then anytime, you know, if there's someone, hey, are, are you new? Do you have a sponsor? And then the answer's no, you know, throw my hands up. Hey, I'll talk to you after the meeting. And, uh, you know, and when I would go to, you know, meetings besides my home group, you know, I'd try to do the same thing. But I have gotten the situation where, you know, I have more sponsees than I can probably handle or I'm at a place where it's manageable. So I try not to have more than one at a time, less than 90 days. You know, so we usually ask folks what advice they have for the newcomer. But, you know, I'm kind of kind of interested in, you know, maybe there are folks listening that are relatively new in their recovery and they've done the steps and maybe they're they're just getting ready to begin that process of being a sponsor. Tell me what advice you would have for someone that's just on that precipice of, you know, becoming a sponsor, beginning to put their hand up to sponsor others. Any advice for them? You know, I would just take them through the steps just like you did and know you're not alone. You know, you can talk to others. If you, if you're, you know, baffled by something, you're not sure what to do, talk to your sponsor. And even before you start sponsoring guys, you know, Hey, you know, talk to them, Hey, what do I say to the, you know, to someone that's new, you know, when I first talk to them and we're, you know, they're looking at sponsorships, you know, you're not responsible for anyone else's sobriety except your own. So, you know, the big thing is that, you know, you stay sober and that's why you do it. You know, no, there's nothing else that works better than working with another alcoholic. So, you know, just, just go for it. And you're not going to hurt, you know, you're not going to hurt anyone, you know, and that's on both sides of it, being a sponsee or being any type of sponsor relationship. The thing my sponsor has told me to do, I, it did not hurt, you know, <laughs> what hurt was when I didn't take the advice, I didn't take the suggestions. And then I felt the pain of the consequence. Yeah, I would just say go for it, you know, and you're going to make mistakes or and not even mistakes. It's you're going to learn, you know, that's I don't think there's such a thing as failure, you know, it's, we get feedback, you know, so it's like we learn through our experiences. So for sure, you know, just share your experience, you know, we're not, you know, none of us are God, you know, we just share, you know, our experience and then hopefully others can relate. Yeah. And if people ask for advice, you can say, you know, relate your experience. And some things are so obvious, though, you know, early in recovery, people are pretty insane. still, so it's pretty easy for people to tell them what to do or, you know, and there's always the fellowship to fall back on. You can talk to your sponsor, talk to others and see they would do or what they suggest. And, you know, it's it's OK to say I don't know or, hey, this other guy has a similar experience, has been through that same thing. And, you know, you should talk to him get comfortable with being uncomfortable because <laughs> it's that's the only way for me that I, I think that I grow, you know, when I'm doing new things, I'm in uncharted territory. That's when I'm, you know, really growing the most. I love that so much. Uh, so you said a whole lot in there and, but specifically you were talking about sort of that sense of responsibility when working with a newcomer as a sponsor. And uh, I remember my sponsor telling me, you know, that no human power can relieve us of our alcoholism. So I am not powerful enough of a human to make someone drink or to keep them from drinking. All we're doing is guiding them through the, through the book and through the steps and um, kind of like what was done for us. So as we begin to wrap up, is there any final thought that you would have for anybody who might be listening? 
yeah, I mean, I mean, that's what I would say. I mean, for me, you know, the being grateful is, you know, something, you know, you have to do for yourself. And it's kind of like something you have to work on. You know, like we were saying before, you know, life is a gift, you know, you know, I have to appreciate it. And sometimes, you know, things are hard, things are challenging. For me, you know, God doesn't make bad days, you know, like it's sometimes I just don't understand what the plan is. But that's okay. You know, that's why I have that faith and that trust in my higher power. Yeah. And then that one part in the um, the daily reflection where it talks about uh, that line in the big book that jumped out about financial difficulties for us, material well-being always followed spiritual progress. It never proceeded. So that on page 127 is from the family afterwards. And, um, you know, there's a lot of recovery that has to happen individually and also like in our relationship family you know everyone kind of comes or like for alcoholics you know you, you're dishonest yourself but maybe your family is dishonest for you and you know it's really a family disease you know even for the people that aren't actively uh drinking or using you know just having contact with an alcoholic or drug addict you know kind of just warps your sense of uh, well-being and how you relate and all you know with everyone even non-alcoholics the disease is progressive and it gets worse and worse and worse for me you know recovery is progressive too and so like you know the disease is progressive so it you know it gets worse and worse and worse and then it ripples through your life through in all your relationships but the same thing happens in recovery so you know as you heal and you know grow spiritually you know those around you can start to get the relief of you not like causing chaos and destruction. And then, you know, you guys are able to, you know, relate to each other in healthier, more meaningful ways. And so, yeah, I just really love that chapter, uh, the family afterwards. And we actually, me and my girlfriend have a meeting we go to uh, called the family afterwards, Saturday night, 7 PM. And it's been a huge part of my recovery. I love that meeting. It's just been so great to grow and then get ex examples of, you know, healthy, strong relationships, you know, with, you know, Al-Anon and AA. And, um, you know, that's definitely been a place I've had to do a lot of work is in my relationships. And I, you know, go to CODA as well. And we've been working the steps there. And it's amazing for me to see how many people from AA actually, you know, get the recovery or able to get long-term sobriety and still struggle in their relationships. And then, you know, look for other help, you know, whether it's outside help with like a therapist or counseling or if, you know, another 12-step program. And um, yeah, Codependence Anonymous has been another big part of my recovery. That's awesome. Um, so the meeting that you're talking about, the family afterward, is that where people um, that are in AA and people that are in Al-Anon um, join together in the meeting? Is that how that works? Yeah, Lee, exactly. It's actually, so it's an open AA meeting. And uh, typically, you know, the lead is a couple that leads most of the, it's really, it's kind of mostly a couple's meeting, but there's been, you know, other family members that have come like parents or nephews or, you know, <laughs> brother, sister. And yeah, it's wonderful. And I love getting exposed to the Al-Anon recovery too, because I've never been to Al-Anon myself. There's a men's meeting when that's this, I really like, it's kind of like the stepping stones, but for yeah, it's just, it's, it's wonderful. And I just love getting that Al-Anon perspective. Oh yeah. Like, like one of the ones is like, you know, uh, pause is postpone action until serenity emerges. Like, I love that. And the other one I like is like, uh, you know, if you're something, someone's bothering you, like what something someone else is bothering you, they're doing or not doing, you know, what should you be doing otherwise? 
you know, like what would you be doing to take care of yourself or, you know, just go about your day? Cause usually that just gets me <laughs> to do the next thing that's on, you know, that I should be doing and uh, kind of let go of whatever's troubling me about someone else's actions or behavior <laughs> that I, I'm powerless over. Thank you so much for sharing. We'll include um, how to find your family afterward meeting in the show notes. But thank you so much for coming, John, and sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us. It's been a beautiful discussion. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Very much appreciated. This is an awesome experience. Thanks so much to John for joining us today. And thanks to you, the listeners. Appreciate your support. If you want to follow us online, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Reflection Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. You can read about recovery on our blog at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day.